I'm very excited to announce the launch of the brand new Learn to Mediate Online Academy. I created the Academy to provide all of my popular webinar training programs, which I gave live as on-demand, learn-at-your-own-pace downloadable courses. Um, so right now, you can go to learntomediateonline.com to access the Academy. I have available the Learn to Mediate Online training program, which gives you the ethical and practical considerations of conducting your mediations online. Uh, there is also a link to the Social Media Musts for Professionals program, which is your ultimate guide to the who, what, where, why, and when of posting on social media, and also my do-it-yourself website builder program, which allows you to finally take charge of your own website and make it work for you. So go to learntomediateonline.com and check out the Academy. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. Absolutely. If you just break it down to we have to divide income and we have to divide assets, these are two buckets. And how are we going to do that? And no matter what case we have and how many zeros are behind each bucket, right? Yeah, some uh, buckets have, are bigger. <laughs> some buckets are huge. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today is a very exciting day for me because I have one of my friends here with me and I'm excited to bring her to you because besides being one of my friends. I'm very lucky um, to have met her since I moved here to Chicago. She's actually one of the leading family law attorneys, certainly here in Chicago, if not in the entire country. Um, in fact, Beth McCormick is, in my mind, the divorce attorney in Chicago. Um, and I was lucky enough to meet her. I'm just going to tell you all right now, go to Instagram, follow her. It's at Beth F. McCormick. Correct. There we go. Because that's how I found her. She has a very fun, believe it or not, for a divorce attorney. She has a fabulous sense of humor and she lets it out in her Instagram post. So that's what attracted me to her. And to her great credit, I reached out to her um, and she was kind enough to say, yes, crazy lady on Instagram, I'd love to meet with you. And ever since then, it's it's been one of the best days for me that I, I reached out because it's ever since then, it's been a wonderful experience knowing Beth. So I'll introduce her first. She is Beth McCormick, family law attorney here in Chicago. Thanks for joining us, Beth. Thank you for having me, Susan. So it's just to give people a little bit of your background, because I think it's very relevant as to the topic we'll be talking today. You are a shareholder at Beerman LLP for those who are not here in Chicago for family law, for business law, Beerman is, I mean, you're the firm. Um, this is the Chicago premier firm in those two areas. And as I said earlier, Beth is uh, really the leading name in family law here in Chicago. I learned that very quickly when I came here. Um, she focuses, and this will get into something of our topic today, she focuses on highly complex family law matters. Um, so for those of you who are listening, thinking, well, there's nothing then you know my case is relatively simple there's a lot that we can learn from all the the cases all different kinds of cases and what I love about Beth and her experience is that she has taken the viewpoint over the years that 
litigating and taking things into a courtroom and turning it into a battle is not really the best way to help her client. She has a wonderful demeanor and is an empathetic and sympathetic, um, compassionate attorney. And for those of you out there in the world of divorce attorneys, that's not what we're known for uh, in many of our cases. In fact, most people do the sign of the cross and back away from us when they hear what we do for a living. Not Beth, but she is also as I've mentioned, one of the top rated divorce attorneys here. Um, and in fact, she's one of the few divorce attorneys that I know that has handled billion dollar divorce cases, um, not million, but billion dollar divorce cases, and not just one, but more than one. So I think it's really an interesting thing to be able to get her perspective and, and maybe hear some of the interesting details of what a billion dollar divorce might, how it might be different from your average divorce, but also here are some of the lessons that you can learn. So Beth, again, thank you for joining me. And I'm excited that we're going to be able to talk a, a little bit about your vast experience of uh, both high end and more, probably more regular divorces. Well, it's exciting to be here. And, you know, we will change some of the features of each uh, matter so as not to imply that I give away any secrets because as you well know, we can't and won't do don't do that. So. Absolutely. And and my listeners know that if I mention a, a case, I'm giving you the flavor of the case, but I am in no way giving you any details about my clients, um, because every client should know that their their personal matters are um, are private and confidential. That's a part of the service that we um, we provide. But there are some issues that we can talk about in a broad or in a general sense. And, you know, I can just imagine as, as a divorce attorney, and I handled a large number of high net worth cases, but a billion dollar case or a case where there are a billion dollars or more in asset value at play, just the complications of that, it's not like it's a one bank account with a billion dollars in it. You're probably talking about an asset and liability picture that is vast. Um, so I would imagine that just from the very get go, there must be an enormous amount of time and effort that goes into just quantifying what you're dealing with. That's right. And a good lawyer also knows what they don't know, and that is to call in an expert to help you. So the good news is um, we can't pretend that we know everything. So we uh, we have lots of great options as far as financial experts who help us with that. Um, but, you know, in situations like this, uh, lifestyle is super complex, right? So what uh, feels like to you and me, I think I could probably put my lifestyle together somewhat easily. And I'm pretty privileged, certainly more so than what, how I grew up. It's still um, awe-inspiring to me to see um, the lifestyle I have, but it's nothing compared to these billion-dollar cases where um, we have uh, lifestyle experts who help create the lifestyle analysis. So that's the most important thing, I think, at the beginning is just to get outside people in your corner that are going to help you paint this picture the other side, for the court, whomever you're working with or against. Well, and actually, that's a great point as uh, from what I was saying earlier is in this particular instance, we're talking about a very high net worth case. But for any divorce, building that team of necessary professionals can be a very important first step or part of what you do with your divorce professional, whether it be a financial professional um, or a mental health professional, a coach. Uh, there are all kinds of different professionals who might right. be brought in. In. But that's a very good point. And so right off the bat, we have, yes, this is something that I assume you would have to do almost certainly in a high net worth case. But many of our, you know, one thing that I think people misunderstand is that it can actually be very helpful to bring in other professionals and keep costs down, even though you're that's spending right. money on the other professionals because they make your case either easier to understand, easier to negotiate, easier to comprehend and move the pieces around, right? I mean, so That's right. it's it's similar. But they're usually a much lower hourly rate than the law, law firm, right? So um, in a more typical case, we may very well have a paralegal work with the client and 
again, more of a run-of-the-mill lifestyle. But when we're talking about um, trying to understand the lifestyle of a billionaire case, um, in Illinois, we have what's called a disclosure statement. Well, that's typically five, six pages, and it's pretty straightforward, bank accounts and um, what the inflow and outflow is each month. Well, when we're talking numbers that are um, not numbers that many of the professionals, certainly the court, we just don't see them every day. So that lifestyle analysis could be more of a binder, right? Because you need to you need to show support for things like travel. The, the travel budget um, may exceed most everyone on the team's annual income, right? So again, rather than being um, blown away by it, which of course, again, humbly speaking, you, st you always look at it in awe, right? But it's their lifestyle and it's certainly not for us to judge it. It's the lifestyle they grew accustomed to and that we have to illustrate for the court what that is and where it comes from. Yeah, and, and do that in very clear terms, right? One of the things that we do as attorneys for our clients is I always use the phrase spoon feed the information to the court. Um, so rather than I, I just was talking to another of our colleagues a little earlier today, and she's doing a case where they're filling out the financial information for it's a high net worth. It's not a billion dollar case, but this is a family that's getting ready to send their children off to camp and they hire private jets to fly the kids to their separate camps and they're stopping to pick up other kids so they're flying to do you know and this is a hundred plus thousand dollar private jet excursion across country to do that to go to a camp that's actually in Europe um, and that was just one of the expenses that oh. that family did you know is a very normal thing for them um, and they were doing it not because of COVID or anything like that. It's just how that's how they travel. So I, I completely understand, you know, some of the expenses to us seem out of the ordinary, but in these people's lives, it is very ordinary. But to the point of the person who's listening who has a more typical income, I think that it's important for them to know that that quantifying of both the assets, liabilities, you know, that marital pie, as I call it, and the lifestyle, that's a part of a divorce in almost any income range. Absolutely. If you just break it down to, we have to divide income and we have to divide assets. These are two buckets. And how are we going to do that? And no matter what case we have and how many zeros are behind each bucket, right? Yeah, some um, buckets are bigger. <laughs> buckets are huge. So. Some buckets are Lake Michigan and some buckets are that's little right. thimbles. Yeah. But that's and, and maybe you experience this because this one thing that I found both in my litigation practice and then later in my mediation practice is most clients, whether they were lower net worth, higher net worth, ultra high net worth, they all want to jump to the dividing things up stage and skip over the filling the bucket stage or quantifying the bucket stage. Do you do you find the same with the high net worth people? Well, they tend to uh, be more thoughtful and mindful about realizing we have to know what those buckets are. So discovery is maybe what you're talking about where, yeah. you know, discovery can make lawyers millions, hundreds of thousands of dollars, because if somebody wants to hold back and make it challenging, that's a huge resource uh, income stream for law firms, right? So the more you spoon feed that data together, ideally, um, the less expensive and less time consuming it will be. And then you can get to the place of dividing the buckets. But gathering data can take months, years, um, depending on how complete and transparent people want to be. Well, and that's something I find universally, I call it ostrich syndrome, because I find clients so much do not want to, whether they have no money or a lot of money, they don't want to spend a lot of time going through statements to pull out numbers, to quantify what this is worth, go get an appraisal on that. Do you find with ultra high net worth clients that because they are constantly dealing with a large asset picture and probably also, you know, there's liabilities against those 
those assets that they have a better understanding or more data generally about their assets? Or do they have to go through the same getting somebody probably to pull that all together for them? That's that's the more realistic is they have people who have people who help gather the data. Yeah. And that's what I figured, right? Their people have people and somebody gets all that to you. But does it just the sheer massive amount? I mean, we're not talking about people who have one home or two homes. In many cases, they have multiple residences around the world that all need to be valued. So valued and also the uh, running costs, carrying costs for each home each month. So back to that disclosure statement in you know, some ha- uh, households where you have maybe two homes and that can be a little bit more complicated, but you're right. When you have 10 different residences around the world, you have to lay out the expenses for each each month, right? Yeah. Uh, so in addition to having everything valued. And right. again, everybody's different as to how much fighting they want to have over valuations, right? Appraisals themselves can be um, at issue and you can spend weeks, months, years, trying to figure out how to value real estate, personal property, all kinds of things, right? Depending on how emotional it is. Susan, I know you and I talk frequently about the, you know, if somebody wants to fight over the candy dish, the famous candy dish case, right? We all as lawyers know the stories of what people get stuck on and fighting over principle and the thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars lawyers make over principal, that's a big deal. Residences tend to be one of the things that people get emotionally tied to. So they do. That, that can be super challenging. And people think, well, they have all the money in the world, they could buy another one. Not about that. About yeah, the number. Well. And that's a great lesson right there, because I think it doesn't matter if you have all the money in the world or you have no money. Divorce is rarely just about the money, although people and you will hear divorce attorneys or other people say, well, divorce is really a financial transaction in a lot of ways. (laughs) For those of you who are not seeing the video of this, Beth has the one of the more expressive faces that I I enjoy. That's why I would never be a judge. I would I would sit here like, what? Are you crazy? Um, Right. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, a divorce is uh, definitely financial, but uh, very often it's um, emotional. Legal is usually the uh, least uh, profound issue that we deal with, right? Because yeah. as lawyers, we could apply any anything we want. That's what, that's the way lawyers work, right? I can yeah. apply it one way, you're going to apply it another way. And good lawyers help the couple think together and narrow the range of options from a bazillion different options to three or five, whatever. But a lot of lawyers just stir up pots and make it super challenging. So to your point, I do try to not do that. Um, but that doesn't, I've lost cases because sometimes people think, oh, she's too nice. Well, I know you know me enough, Susan. But, um, uh, they don't call me the velvet hammer for nothing. Uh, uh, I often say, please don't mistake collaborative for stupid, right? I know how to work well with people. And um, I may actually manipulate and use my uh, arm to help people think, gosh, I might not know what I'm talking about in the reality. Kind of fun. I I was just going to say, I think we're blowing your cover here if people think you don't know what you're talking about. But uh, but you also one of the things that I've always enjoyed about you as a practitioner, I love you as a person. But one of the very first things you said to me and we were just uh, visiting with our friend Bella Gandhi, who's also been on the show, and we were talking about a case with someone that both of you knew where the person had been in litigation for quite some time and then transitioned to you as counsel and within two short meetings you had things like narrowed down to what the actual issues were and and was able to resolve what had become a very high conflict matter um and you were able to take that help them take that emotional content and focus in on what needed to get done and i think that says it all um All too often, lawyers feel that because we're being paid, we need to talk and we get paid by the word. The reality is, I think my greatest strength is my ability to listen. So 
it's interesting as you say that I don't remember exactly what you're speaking of and that's that's the good news is that I do listen I try to take each case as I say and help you divorce with a scalpel instead of a machete because if you put a lot of thought into it there's far less blood and uh, pain so it's an honor to help those people really be thoughtful and and take what feels impossible um, odds of settling and just getting it done because I just simply listen. Well, and, and what people who are listening may not know is that is a huge talent and a rare one in the world of divorce litigation, for sure. Um, but also, you know, just in the in the world of divorce to find that ability to of someone to one listen because that is what I think everyone everyone wants to be heard often when they're heard and they know they've been heard that brings the the level of conflict down to where you can start actually moving forward um it's the arguing and the conflict and the no but that right. makes this right the yeah but or i uh, no that won't work that makes everything so difficult so to find i think that's is a true key to your success um and why people the other thing that i've noticed about you without um you know saying any names or anything but anyone i have ever talked to who has been your client thinks of you as a truly wonderful person and someone who was truly there by their side, getting them through a very, very difficult way in the best way possible. I've heard very consistent things from people who have had you, been lucky enough, that's how they would phrase it, to have you as their attorney. That's very nice. I, uh, interestingly, just this week, had a client send me an email and she chose not to work with me and said, I think I would choose you as my friend, um, but I'm choosing another lawyer mostly for geography. She wanted um, somebody primarily closer to her area. And she also said, I wanted somebody a lot more mean, which goes <laughs> back to what um, we were talking about. I, uh, I very, very thoughtfully use my um, negotiating skills, right? So mean sometimes works, but mean doesn't often work. So I'm very strategic on when you get the mean. Um, I have a very long fuse, I'll say. And I think that benefits clients. It's very strategic. Well, it does, Ben. Let me just be very blunt with the people who are listening. The mean just costs you money. That's right. Mean and conflict and what you referenced earlier, I always say the principle of the matter, are it, those are the most expensive words in divorce. Truly. It's it's truly not about that. It is about helping clients to reorganize their relationship, their life, their finances in such a way that they can move forward, not right. stay stuck in this limbo of divorce, which we both know is a horrible place to be, right. um, or in the past of a relationship that isn't there anymore. Not serving them anymore. I often refer to what I call periscope thinking. I'm looking around the corner and down there to see the things that you're not thinking about. You can't possibly think about that. You're flooded with emotion when you're getting divorced. You need somebody objective to think about those things you're not thinking about. That is another strength that I feel like all too often lawyers don't think about. So um I have received feedback from a lot of people who say, thank God you wrote that in there. Without that, I would be sunk. So, I just got one of those emails from a client that I handled her divorce probably eight or nine years ago. And a clause that we wrote in just in case yeah. just got kicked into place. And uh, she was very happy it was there. So, um, yeah, those are the, you know, listen to your attorneys if you are going to hire one. That's the other thing that That's maybe right. people can pull from this is, you know, I always tell people when they came for a consult with me is one, they should talk to at least two other attorneys. And they needed to make sure that when they hired that attorney, they were going to be willing to hear what the attorney said and trust that that was good advice. That So they had to have that sort of belief because our job is not just to blow, as I always said, 
blow smoke up your skirt or pants. We are there. We're going to tell you some things you don't want to hear. It's part of our job. A good lawyer will. That's right. (laughs) Well, if your lawyer is only telling you what you want to hear, you probably need a different lawyer. Well, and then you're going to go to trial and that lawyer's likely not going to prevail on all the promises they made. And that's unfortunately the reputation that all too often people talk about their divorce lawyers. And thankfully, I think lawyers have gotten a lot better at that. I, I feel like um, it's there are certainly lawyers who have the reputation for continuing to do that. But for the most part, we're training younger lawyers of the importance of on the first consultation all the way through reality testing all of their expectations and their wishes. Just like when you go to a doctor, of course you want to hear all good news. If you if they do that, they're obviously not serving you well. Well, if all you hear is good, you know, in a divorce, in any situation in life, it's rare that you're going to have everything turn out 100% the way that you want it. And right. to be led down the the path of I will get you everything that you want when when you and I both know that that's extremely unlikely. In fact, in 30 years of practice, I can't think of a case where my client got every single thing that they wanted. Um, and, And, you know, how many times have you had this where they fight and fight and fight to get something only to a year later realize they really didn't care about getting that thing at all or that they spent more getting it than that was actually worth. I've had that email you know, in hindsight from clients, oh, so many times. Right. Thank you for talking me off that ledge. Exactly. Exactly. I'd like to take a moment now to tell you about my favorite co-parenting app, FAIR. There are other apps out there, but FAIR is the only one that I recommend to my clients. We know that divorce is never easy, and when children are in the picture, it can be really tricky, especially when you're trying to communicate with your ex, and that's a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called FAIR, F-A-Y-R. FAIR is the easiest, most intuitive, and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. It helps to eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. Here's what the FAIR app can do. It has a time-sharing calendar, documentable text messaging, an expense tracker, a GPS check-in, and by the way, no one else has that, a monthly parenting report, a private journal, a file vault, and importantly, you can export all of the records into a convenient and time and date stamped PDF when you need it for your attorney or for court, and there's a Spanish version of the app as well. So subscribe at BeFair.com, that's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com, and then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. You can go to FAIR.com for more details and use the discount code SUSANG18 to receive 20% off. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, leading divorce attorney Beth McCormick, with lessons you can learn from some billion-dollar divorces. People always want to talk about what's fair, and I have chosen to take that as the four-letter F word. Uh, I have no idea what's fair. Susan, do you know what's fair? Because what's fair to me is very different from what's fair to you, certainly between two divorcing people. So fair is a really challenging word, and my reframe is acceptable. What is acceptable to you rather than what is If you are enjoying this episode, check out Unleashing the Unstoppable Power of Letting Go with TEDx speaker and best-selling author, Jill Scherer-Murray. I wrote the book that I want. I wish I had. I wish I had decades ago. But I mean, basically, my story is very simple. I was in a 12-year relationship with a wonderful man who I deeply, deeply loved. I wanted to get married. Don't miss the irony of that being this a divorce show. (laughs) I wanted to get married, and he didn't. And that was it. And it was really like that for most of our relationship. And I stayed, even though in my heart of hearts, I knew that he was never going to change. And now we return to today's show. 
you know, the other thing is part of our job is to, whether it's the, and, and maybe there, this is something that's different with the ultra high net worth. Is it harder to give them bad news or give them advice that is against, because people I've found with a great deal of wealth or celebrity, um, when I've had the clients in those ranges, celebrities usually have a lot of wealth, but they, they don't, they are used to being surrounded by people who agree with them. That's right. And so they don't enjoy someone who doesn't agree with them sometimes. Uh, yeah, I was going to say sometimes. I think um, the uh, wise ones are um, grateful for it. And um, it can be more challenging, for sure. Um, I'm th thinking of a, an instance where um, one of the uh, child-related issues was just not feasible. And of course, there's, it doesn't matter all the money in the world. You can't change certain things that way, right? So you can hire expert after expert to see if you can get somebody to tell you what you want to hear that may, you may be able to put forth before a judge. But um, when the buck stops, the buck stops. And a good lawyer is going to call that. Not too soon, right? I'm willing to, to try um, because they have all the means in order to have um, other people weigh in um, with children issues that tends to be a mental health professional psychologist or psychiatrist who's uh, helping weigh the pros and cons. So usually, again, a good lawyer is going to have an outside person consulting and helping them make those decisions. And it's not all going to rest on me. So yeah. I help call someone else in. But yes, I have a very specific example of a case where I was... Um, having to deliver that news, but I didn't do it in one meeting. I did it in probably 20 to 30 meetings, just asking, by asking questions mostly, instead of directing, you know, you don't have a chance in hell to do this, <laughs> asking questions. And, and as you know, Susan, in doing this work, really trying to figure out what their ultimate goals and interests are. And by doing that, you're able to help them get to their reality far more efficiently than just consistently telling them over and over what they don't want to hear. So yeah. And that's, that's that is the point of, I'm so glad you said the goals and interests because that right there, everyone who's listening, that is the sign of a truly good attorney. The fact that an attorney understands and knows that really, truly what will move your case forward, what will move you forward is a focus on your interests, your goals and your interests, not the emotional content, not what you think you need. It's really what, what you're looking for and why you're looking for it, because that's where you can find the space to create agreements that work for both sides. That's right. Because as you know, Susan, in doing your mediation work, their goals and interests are almost always at least 90% aligned. Very rarely are their goals and interests wildly different. You know, there's not a family that I've met with who doesn't want consistency for their children, as an example. Good one. Uh, continuity, stability. Uh, so, of course, one goal could be that I want all the money and I want her penniless. That could be a goal, but we work with them to kind of reframe that and make it look a little different. There's that other mediation word, reframing. <laughs> yep, yep. And uh, another mediation word that I've been using a lot lately is people always want to talk about what's fair. And I have chosen to take that as the four-letter F word. Uh, I have no idea what's fair. Susan, do you know what's fair? Because what's fair to me is very different from what's fair to you, and certainly between two divorcing so fair is a really challenging word and my reframe is acceptable what is acceptable to you rather than what is fair that's a good I, I might use that myself thank you very much and that I is took a it good from one. another professional it's not self-made so there well you it's go. a great one so those who are listening take that into your negotiations what that's is right. acceptable not fair and and that is a point that I make in both my mediations and and back in my litigation days to clients that what I think is fair what you think is fair what you're because almost everyone says I just want what's fair right. I just want a fair settlement I want what I'm entitled to um, the other one is uh, because statutes always have this word reasonable within a reasonable period of time. 
Right. <laughs> like what does reasonable mean? Right. Um, but it's but it is a good you know, it is a good point for people who are going through this process. Right. You to be thinking about it. This is this is what are you I, I get this one with that the marital residence all the time. I want the house. I have to have the house. And if you really start to pick that apart, well, what is it about having the house that is actually is it, you know, what are the the underlying reasons um, for wanting the house? What does that look like? And when you really start parsing that out in in many cases, it may not be that it's actually the house. It's what the house represents or the stability of a school system or something that might be able to be achieved in another way. And that's why that interest approach is so powerful in a mediation that, or a negotiation. That's right. And another place I learned that on the house um, topic, I bring in a financial advisor to every divorce case because I learned from a woman who came to me several years ago and got the house on the lake that she always wanted. And the lawyer negotiated a very nice deal for her. And she had a nice uh, monthly support amount that was nowhere near meeting her needs. No one had ever taken the time to work with her on the carrying costs of that property going back to where we started. And the reality was it, it wasn't in her best interest long term to maintain that. And it just took somebody saying those hard things to her. Yeah. And that's actually that scenario is something that I've seen over and over again, um, where hanging, you know, hanging on to the marital residence becomes the mantra for one of the parties in the divorce, and everything gets negotiated toward that point. And it's only after the divorce that it dawns upon them that it's financially ruinous or in some other way, really not in their best interest, but they got so focused on that. So I agree. I'd love to bring in a CDFA or a financial professional who can actually break down not just the utilities and the mortgage and the insurance cost. What about trimming the trees and plowing the driveway and resealing it every third day and the, you know, the system maintenance at, at all the things that we just don't always think about. Um, mm -hmm. A financial professional is going to drill down on that and tell you what it actually costs to carry a property. It, it's an eye opener. Truly. Yeah. And in the billion dollar cases where the money is not at issue, now we're back to emotion. So we both want the home in Aspen because there's so many great family memories there. We both want the home on the ocean in Florida um, or one of the three homes on the ocean in Florida because there's so many great memories there. And we can't have, let's say there are more than one residence in, in one town. Well, we don't want to be too close together. We don't want to be, you know, so it's fascinating to see that their issues are just the same, but oh, so different. Yeah, well, at that high level. Now, one of the things I wonder, because this is uh, the other thing I've found with celebrity or ultra high net worth clients, they want privacy around their divorce proceedings in most cases. Um, they don't want to be going into court um, in many cases. They would prefer, there's just an overall overarching um desire to keep their privacy a little bit more so I would say than some of my clients who aren't facing that because they don't want the intricacies of their finances exposed in that public forum. Have you found that to be a motivating factor? Almost always. Uh, and this was pre-COVID, right, where the reality is in the courtroom, it's an open courtroom for a reason, right? So people can be sitting there and Obviously, if they're famous, they'll be recognized, but sometimes they're not known uh, for their celebrity, but their uh, income level and their assets are a level that are astronomical. And, you know, you watch the gallery where people are watching and their faces when they start talking about the carrying costs of these residences, et cetera. But it's just mortifying uh, for the people to have that aired. Um, but some people thrive on that. You can see the people who just want to take it into court to hurt the person who may want the privacy, right? So the, it's used a lot of different ways. 
there can be uh, an incentive for somebody to take it out of court and throw a lot more money at it in order to have that privacy. So right. those of us who do work in this space have a ton of discretion and are constantly encouraging people to stay out of court, but also to stay out of the press, right? You, you all, everybody wants to read about the celebrity and the ultra high net worth divorces. Well, that for that very reason, you should be discerning about who you hire and who's not going to use your celebrity to elevate their own personal goals. Right. You want a law firm that's not going to run to the press and, and share just the fact that the divorce was filed. Susan Which Bernard, happens all the right, time. Right? I mean, that happens all day, every day. Yeah. And, and I see that. Um, well, it's good for people to know, first off, what it's like in the courtroom. I was thinking that when you were describing, you know, it's one thing, it definitely gets people's attention when someone's put on the stand and they start talking about the $100,000 private debt to take the child to camp. But I, I, it would be good for everyone to know here that whether you're talking about all of your money or how little money you have, sitting on a stand in an open public courtroom when anyone and everyone can be sitting there, and there are people there, right? Everybody else who's waiting for their case to be heard is there. We used to have people in Connecticut that were our regulars. I think this was like yes. their their soap opera time. Instead of watching uh, Days of Our Lives or All My Children, they came down to the courthouse and were there almost every trial day. Um, there's always people in those courtrooms. It's very rare to see a closed courtroom. And um, for very few reasons, in my experience, will courts close courtrooms. So you're going to talk about your, you know, somebody's extramarital affair, somebody's sexually transmitted disease, the fact that you spent money on a breast augmentation, whatever these things are that you might not want to have aired, you're going to, you yourself are going to get on the stand and actually talk about these things. Well, and as parents, we're, we're consistently reminding them of the legacy they're leaving, because if the press picks something up, do you really want your child to read that that's the what, what dad fought for or what mom fought for? Because whether they're of an age now to read it or not, we all know with technology, it's never going to disappear. So no. being much more discerning about that, I think, is super crucial. Again, no matter who you are, but certainly if it's newsworthy, you've really got to have those hard conversations with those clients. Absolutely. And then the thing that's... a good motivator for everyone is if you are able to reach an agreement, that agreement can be drafted in such a way in many cases where most of your private information can be kept out of the public documentation. Your finances are sealed. Um, your children's names may or may not be in there depending on the, the state. But uh, much of the identifying information and the very detail of who's getting what, what's, who's paying what, that can be kept out of the written agreements that are public. It's In Illinois, thankfully, we're finally at the place now where the details are never set forth in anything that the public can read. No, oh, that's wonderful. I, Connecticut in, or uh, yeah, Connecticut in California, where I'm licensed, they do have a requirement that certain details be in there, but they do protect most of the private information, um, which is a wonderful or a, a very important motivator for people to come to an agreement. So I, I just want to make sure one thing that I didn't mention is we've talked about the fact that you are the billion dollar divorce attorney in the area, in the country, but you do, you handle all different kinds and all different ranges of divorce. Um, there are a certain number of billionaires in the world, but if you were only handling billion dollar divorces, you might have a very small client pool. You actually have a very broad range and diverse range of clients. I do. You know, I'm an attorney for children also. Uh, courts appoint me as an attorney for the children. So I tend to come in pretty often on complex uh, child-related issues. Uh, again, whether people have the means for that or not uh, is less important. What they need is an expert who really knows how to work with the family to navigate really challenging issues. You know, people yeah, that... Uh, there are issues related to relocation, issues related to parental alienation, which is not a word we really use technically anymore, but uh, a shortcut. Uh, there are um, all the way to the everyday decision-making issues. We don't have custody in Illinois. 
anymore, but uh, where the kids are going to rest their head every night. You know, there's a lot of uh, thought that needs to go into building your case on that. So I like to use, personally, I like to use my uh, expertise there more than anywhere else. Uh, numbers are uh, exciting sometimes, but that I don't get as much personal satisfaction um, than when I can really help a family navigate what's right for a kid. Well, and knowing that you do that work, honestly, I can't imagine anyone better suited to doing that work. Um, any child who had you as counsel um, or a GAL would do you do GAL guardian ad litem as well? Yeah, in Illinois, we have three different um, titles, but rather than getting into the details of that, I do that. And then my training as a collaborative law fellow, obviously as a mediator, all of those skills you know, I use my mediation skills in my cross-examinations and litigation, right? People forget that just because you're trained one way, our, our, our brains don't die. So when I shifted my fat, uh, practice to doing mostly ADR, alternative dispute resolution, I, uh, I often say my, my litigation brain didn't die. I'm still using it all the time in what, no matter what process I'm in. Right. Well, and I think that that's what makes a, a truly superlative professional, the one who can pull from all the different disciplines, because there's no cookie cutter to no. this process. Not at, not at the level we're talking, right? I feel <laughs> like if you need any level of sophistication at all, you need somebody who can really move in and out, because very rarely does a case start one way and end up that way, right? Oh, absolutely. Come in saying for sure we're low conflict. Well, we always obviously figure out some issues that are at conflict. Otherwise, you wouldn't have lawyers. But but then we have people who are super high conflict in the beginning. Right, Susan? And next thing you know, if, with the right people, you can peel that onion <laughs> and actually get it done much more efficiently and effectively. Well, and I think that's one of your talents that goes to that case we were talking about earlier where sometimes people have gotten so positioned, so dug in on what it is they say they want, excuse me, without looking at the underlying interests and goals. And I think you have a true talent for being able to help people turn that focus and, and look underneath. And that's what brings about resolution. That's what brings about settlement. Um, Knowing that there's an iron hammer covered in velvet, um, in you know, I think that that is a, also the perfect representation because when you're in a case, having an attorney who's there to help you settle, but knowing that they can be there to also help you if you have to go to court is, right. is truly the best of all worlds. That's right. And I'm so with you on the interviewing professionals because you'll know when you're interviewing lawyers, you'll know what, who feels right to you. Is there a, a more intimate relationship, right? We really get to know one another. They get to know me and vice versa, if that's the nature of the relationship. So you've got to make sure that you like the person and that you're able to have challenging conversations with him or her. Um, unfortunately, all too often, people hire a lawyer that's gonna take care of them. Well, I think taking care of a client is important, but I need to do it, take care of you the way you need to be cared for. So if, if I think, um, if I do it my way, then I'm not serving you well because I'm not listening to you and what your actual needs are. So, well, and it's, it's not always to be your best friend. It's, that's it's, right. we have compassion. Oh gosh, do we have compassion? I, I think a good divorce attorney has to have that level of compassion, um, and empathy, um, but that's not our job to sit there and, and hold your hand and cry with you. It is our job to help you get through this time and get moving forward in, into a better place. That's um, right. You actually made me think of a, a friend of mine pointed out, and I've done some training since on compassion fatigue. Have yeah. you talked about that in any of your... I haven't done the show yet, but I just was at a conference um, and the keynote was on compassion fatigue. And I was listening, thinking, oh my gosh, why are we not talking about this more <laughs> in our thing. field? Oh, it's a very real thing. I know the mental health professionals have been talking about it for a while, but the lawyers need to get on board and realize that if you do this well, 
that you will have compassion fatigue and that, you know, to take, to do the self-care, I still say one of my greater strengths too is my ability to compartmentalize. I come home and as best I can, I really do try to shut it down. My family deserves to have a peaceful mom rather than carrying all the weight of what I do all day every day. And I, I know that you're very successful that you have the most lovely family. Um, so it's, uh, it's, they're, they're lucky to have you, your clients are lucky to have you. How can people reach out to you with questions or to get in touch with you if they have a pending case? So as you mentioned at the beginning, our law firm is Beerman LLP. I, uh, we have a client portal you can log on to. Otherwise, my email address is bmccormack, M-C-C-O-R-M-A-C-K, at beermanlaw.com. And Beerman has two E's and two N's, common misspelling. Um, and believe it or not, I have given my cell phone out long before COVID. And uh, it's, it's fascinating because my peers are always like, that's the craziest thing ever. Well, those of us who do it realize that it's the most efficient way for people to reach you. And it's something that's uh, it's a value add. You're, there's no more stressful time in a client's lives than now. And I don't have to answer every text in real time. I can come and catch up. So I, uh, if you email me, I'm happy to work with you and give out my cell phone. And I think that's a, another thing that sets me apart. Well, I send every referral I have in Illinois, Chicago, always to Beth. She's my top choice. And I'm so happy that we were able to talk about some of these things because I think, again, your broad range of experience all the way from those billion-dollar divorces all the way down to what you know, more normal income levels. But you, your, it's truly your approach and your willingness and ability to listen to your clients, guide them, um, and guide the process as well that I think has made you really, truly one of the top attorneys that I know. Um, and and I've known a lot of family law attorneys. So thank you, um, friend. Uh, I, it's, I'm so happy that you were able to come on today. And thank you so much. I encourage people to reach out to Beth. I will have all that contact information in my in the show notes as well. Um, so thank you. Thanks, Susan. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond. Thank you.